Friends, family, welcome back to Living Disciple Podcast. My name is Mark, and I will be your host. Today, we are going to be talking about how to read the Bible. Now, it is Christmas season, so I'll be using an interesting passage, a boring passage in many people's minds because it's the passage of genealogy. Also, it is a Christmas passage. So it, this passage is from Matthew chapter 1. Most of this chapter is the genealogy. Uh, a lot of people asked me, hey, can you speak about how do you read the Word of God? Because there's so much just to the idea of Bible being the inspired Word of God. You know, how do we read it? There are many different denominations out there and how they view it. Some are liberal Christians, some are conservative Christians, you know, some will call others heretics, other ones will call the others Bible thumpers. Uh, basically, who's right and how, do, how are we to do this, how are we to read the scripture? So I'm gonna kind of give you my opinion on it, I'm gonna say. Uh, I'm gonna, uh, no, I'm gonna say my opinion is right, obviously because we're all biased, because we're all personal, and it, it comes from my mind. So do with it as you will. So let's just read Matthew chapter 1, and then I'll talk about a lot of historical uh, de definitions and opinions of what the Bible is. And I'm not going to get into it very comprehensively. That requires a lot longer and a lot more talks about it, and we may do that. I might, I might just sit down and just kind of go through a lot of the issues or what, what is the inspired word of God? What does it mean? Uh, so let's just read and then I'll fill in the gaps after we read the chapter. So let's read, since it's Christmas season, guys, let's read the birth of Jesus in, from Matthew chapter 1. So this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashton. Nashton, the father of Solomon. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother has been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Rehoshaphat. Rehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jetham. Jetham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brother at this time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel, Sheltiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azar, Azar, the father of Zodak, Zodak, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eliz. Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. As you can see, this part is extremely boring, and some of these names we have a very difficult time pronouncing. Thus, 
These were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they can come together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. But before he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is chapter 1 of Matthew, and that's how it ends. This is very... <laughs> there's basically no drama here, let's just say that, other than Joseph, and it's a very quick thing. Compare this to Luke account of Jesus' birth, which goes through Zechariah and Elizabeth, Mary, and there's a lot that's there. So, after reading this chapter, I'm not sure how you can get inspiration. Like, let's, let's kind of go, let's talk about, like, what is the inspired word of God, All right? And there are many different ideas about it. Uh, how, how we to interpret the scripture in, in, is one way of looking at it. And today, the theologian, they say, well, there are three that they can say you can interpret the scripture according to. So there's this textual, there's this authors and personal. Like textual uh, just simply means you read into the text. It's more like a theological, uh, you read into each word and try to understand each, down to each word, basically. Uh, author's idea is basically you, we need to understand what the author was speaking about to his immediate audience whom he is writing this book to. And personal is what you personally get from the text when you read it into your personal life. You have to be careful when you read this. Uh, I, I've talked about this before this, and I've, I was taught this, but I like to bring another layer on top of this, and that is very basic, and it kind of comes from 2 Timothy 3.16, and it basically says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So this God-breathed, this is what I call inspiration. This is what we say, God, uh, that the book is inspired, right? We can't just say it's a correct, it's an errant, uh, because we can have a book that's without an error. But that doesn't really give it an inspiration from God in any way. Like, how is God in this? We can have an accurate book. But this is something more than just a book. And this is what we want to say, that somehow it is God's breath 
is coming from the book. It's in the same way when we say God breathed into Adam. So there's certain life that comes out of the Bible. That's what we, we say. Now, that's the second part. Like the first part, when we read the Bible, we want to say, I want to say, like, you have to comprehend it. So this sort of kind of falls into the theological or comprehensive type of idea. You just need to understand what the book says. If, and, and this is where a lot of people fail. Like a lot of people fail this, uh, atheists or Muslims, whoever it is, they try to make theological claims on it. But my first question is, did you read the book? If you don't read the book, and this also falls on Christians, a lot of Christians make a lot of theological uh, things, but it's like, but did you read the book? Did you comprehend what it stated there or not? Because before you can make any claims, what's the point, right? So that's when, when you read the Bible, those are my two things that I would always kind of point people to. When you do any kind of a Bible study with anybody, and I get this textual authors and personal stuff is in there, uh, but I like to point out these simple two things. Read a book, read a chapter. Did you understand what's in the chapter? And then secondly, did you feel certain breath of God? Meaning, did God extend himself? You ought to look for that. In the same way we look for prophetic word or, or for when we pray to God, like, God, give me an answer. In the same way you ought to approach when you read the scripture. It's like, God, speak to me through the scripture. It is a very good way and a sure way of getting it. And when I say breathe, it's not just personal interpretation, right? It's, it's not because some people say, oh, that's a personal interpretation. No, it's not. Because how do you think Apostle Paul received his revelation? It is exactly the same way. How did he know when he said, uh, when he was speaking about the, the seed of Abraham, and he said it's singular, not plural, that that was Jesus, not, not a country in a singular form, meaning a seed, which is a whole Israel as one. How did he get that? Well, it's the same way. It, it's a, it was a personal, we would categorize it as a personal interpretation. So you see how it gets convoluted almost or, or, or um, mixed, layered together. A lot of times you cannot separate personal from God's revelation. So that's why I just break it down comprehensively. Just understand what it means. Just the text itself. What does it say to you? And then see if God speaks to you in some way. And that's what we are. We, that's, this is how I tell people. Uh, if you want to talk comprehensively about what it means, let's, let's look at it. Like, for example, in um, Matthew chapter 1, comprehensively, when we read this, it's basically genealogy, not, not much is there. Uh, there are three generations of 14. Now, if you start looking at your details over here, the details get pretty interesting. Uh, there's only 41 generations listed in this genealogy, but there are but if you multiply 14 times 3, it's 42. So it's like, wait, wait, what is the missing link? The missing link here is between, is right after Josiah, right? Uh, the father of Je Jeconiah. Jeconiah is his grandson, not his father. But he is his genealogy. Uh, during Josiah's age, Josiah, um, uh, there were basically Assyria, the empire of Assyria, which is being weakened. Uh, which was kind of basically going down. And there was Egypt. And there on the other side was the empire that was grown, which is Babylon, Babylonian Empire. And there was a fight between Assyria and Babylon. And, 
Egypt was helping out Assyria, kind of trying to keep, uh, keep Babylon away from them by helping out the Assyrians. And Josiah went against Egypt, Egyptian pharaoh, and Egyptian pharaoh said, hey, man, I have no, no, nothing against you. I'm going to fight so-and-so. Yet Josiah didn't feel like he should be doing it, and so he fought against them, and they lost the fight. They lost the battle, and Josiah was killed in this battle. And so Egyptians put in a puppet king, which was his son. And so in a way, he wasn't listed in here because he wasn't the official he wasn't the official king of Israel according to Israel lineage. So you get this little caveat here to deal with, and I'm sure Matthew's sort of dealing with it this way as well. So you read into it, it's like, huh, okay, that's interesting. It's not there, but yet generationally he is there. So it's a little, little weird. But when we read also this genealogy, there's also genealogy in Luke which is a little different from this genealogy. So we have to start thinking about it, like what, what, what is he saying, right? So we kind of sort of say that this is the genealogy of his royal royalty, royal blood. But at the same time, you look into it and you say, what is another thing you can uh, grab from this? And you say, well, Josiah, I mean, Joseph is not, is not Jesus' son. You know, it was Mary's son. How did we do this? And so custom, like in the custom or in the law of Jews, it was legal. It's, this is a legality issue. This is not generational, like, it's not bloodline. In Matthew, we can argue that the, uh, Matthew's account, sorry, Matthew's account, Luke's account is the bloodline of Jesus from David and all the way from even Adam. But here, it's, it's the royalty, it's a lineage that Jesus is a legal king, or he can be a king of Israel because of the covenants that God made with certain kings and certain people in the lineage. And so this is what we see, that Matthew is proven that this is legal. So if, if like, what you guys want to see, if you guys want to look into it, I believe... There are marriage laws or marriage lineages. They are stated in Deuteronomy 25.5. And whether it speaks about that the brother can continue his other brother's lineage. So in the same way here, just because Joseph was not direct father of Jesus, but because he is his legal father, it still passes on to Jesus from that point of view. So that's what we're talking about here. So those are the details. That's the comprehensive side of things. Like when you read this and you start to think about it and you start reading into names, start reading into issues, like, well, why, why is that there? Well, when you read it, you start to think about it, start to do research, and you see it's like, oh, that's why. Because a lot of times we today will read it and we're like, wait a minute. To, to us, bloodline, if we want to have inheritance, bloodline matters more than legal things. I know in America also you can have these legal things. You have to legally become the stepfather of somebody to have, for them to have your inheritance, stuff like that. So we sort of have the same thing. So that's like the textual or comprehensive 
idea of what's happening here, right? And then when you read this, and I will share this story with you, how is this inspirational, especially genealogy, right? How, is, how should this inspire you in some way or when God breathes? And this is where there's a spectrum of things, like it deals with your personal life, or it could be dealing with your church life, or it could be dealing with something bigger that you're dealing in your life. But most of it deals with your influence or the things where you can reach or the things you can influence. It doesn't really go beyond that, I believe. It can, but it's your influence. And God may speak into it. It could be into a specific person. You read this and then God starts speaking to you. Like when you pray for somebody, when you're prophesying to someone, right? And God sort of puts this on your heart, like, wait a minute. I don't know why is God putting this specific passage, but I read this this week, and now he's bringing this to my mind. And I'm praying for you, and I'm feeling like God is speaking into you. And this happened to me just recently. God's speaking to me that you have a royal blood in you. Not in the sense that there's this royal blood to some kind of a kingship of some sort, but more into a, in this case, it was more to a church level. Like, I saw this man becoming a, a preacher. It's like, you are a preacher, you have royal blood in you. I mean, there is, there is this destiny for you, not just to be in a workplace, but to actually become a preacher. And so that, that's how God spoke to me, to this person. Now, in other case, as I was doing it, uh, I was looking into Romans chapter 8 in this case, which basically sort of deals with why Jesus came here. And we hear it very quickly. It just, it just says in verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you will give him a name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And I was just sort of doing comprehensive search on that, uh, researching idea of sin, like what is sin. And one of the passages that came to my mind, or not my mind, but in my research was Romans chapter 8. And I read the whole Romans chapter 8. And here's how God inspired me. It was because God sort of breathed these passages, like this, he breathed this idea into me to do this research and study. And it came in handy. I'm like, well, this was just my basic research for my own knowledge, for my comprehension. But yet, it came in so handy for me because I can't keep everything in my mind. And I literally, days later, I get into a conversation. We have a prayer and worship night. And there's this one guy sitting there, um, and he's not doing anything. So I ask him. We get a lot of people into our group and that may not be like spirit-led so for them the whole idea of praying in tongues and prophesying is a little weird so i come to him and, and i talk to him a little bit and we get into a discussion and this passage romans chapter 8 became like a tool of convicting him of something i don't know what it is but it was convicting him that what is happening here is true and he was confused or in his mind he didn't really think through the idea of resurrection. We somehow got into the idea of, of original sin, uh, which was, uh, what is the curse? What is the curse of sin? And my statement was, 
well, we are all under the curse of sin. Uh, even the babies who are innocent today, as we consider them, they're also under the curse of sin, which is our physical bodies are dying. But he couldn't quite grasp that or in his mind somehow, whoever he told him anything, whoever influenced him to think one way or the other way. That idea was strange to him. But I opened the Bible, Romans chapter 8, and it like straight up says it in there that he came. I probably should read it. Verse 24, the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought it into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So he's talking about the bondage here. And there's another verse here. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, so we wait eagerly for adoption of the sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So here it's speaking, talking about redeeming our physical bodies. And in his mind, it didn't make sense until I read these passages to him and something clicked in his mind. It's like, hmm, I've never heard this. So God inspired me, even though it's naturally he still inspired me. He brought me into those passages because if I didn't read those passages, I don't know if I could quickly show him the passages. I would have to, first of all, it had to come to my mind and then I would have to research it and open it. But here it was just like, I read it. I literally read the passages and I was just able to, boom, let's reach out, reach Romans chapter eight. And I read it to him and he's just like, huh. And so God breathed into me certain information. He brought into my mind, I even thought about it and, and spent some time chewing on it. And then a person came into my mind who needed to hear it. So that is the, like this breath of God that was inside of me, right? So that's how you read the Bible. You read it with an intent, God give me something. It's either to feed someone, someone else or to personally answer my own questions or, or to open certain things up or break certain things in me. There are many nuggets in here that would move people, that God can reveal to them certain things about them and that it would move them or shift their mind in some way. Uh, one of these things you can say is Joseph. Like how did Joseph respond to this whole case? How in the world did Joseph even believe Mary? Okay, she is pregnant. What is he ought to think? And then even you can say, then he had a dream. I mean, it's easily, you can easily interpret that as that's from the devil. A woman is pregnant. What are you ought to think? And the angel shows up to you and he says, oh, it's from the Holy Spirit. Do you understand the gravity of that statement? You're telling me this woman is a virgin and she's pregnant. That just doesn't happen. Literally, nothing like this has happened in the history of Israel, yet he believes it. Like, this is what we kind of have to comprehend. Like, to the level God inspires people and God churns, right? We need to really grab this. And so many situations can happen in people's lives. And they may get a dream and they're just confused about the things. Or they may get certain information. They're like, I don't know what to do. 
But when they read this passage, they're like, wait a minute. Exact the same thing happened to Joseph. And it suddenly inspires people, or uh, not just people, to, to have this assurance that, yes, that was God speaking to me. God can't speak this way even though it doesn't make sense to me because I guarantee you it did not make sense to Joseph in that moment why God is doing that. And so when people reading this, they get inspired, they get filled by the Holy Spirit, and it nudges them like, hmm, okay, I'm going to take that. I'm going to believe that. And so this is where he calls Joseph a righteous man. And he wasn't really even following the law to the dot. His heart was in the right place. It wasn't, oh, let me check the law. Because according to the law, Mary's supposed to be stoned because obviously she's pregnant. Who is she pregnant with? Oh, she's not saying. Well, she needs to be stoned. She's an adulterer. That's with our plain eyes. We see the situation. This is what's supposed to be done. And if he's a righteous man, as we say it, he's supposed to be what? Supposed to follow the law. Yet he didn't do that. Kind of almost prophesying as to what is the righteousness. And a lot of times we, in the Bible, uh, in a, even in the Bible Belt, uh, <laughs> we can become very religious. And it can inspire a lot of people, like, wait a minute, I know the church bylaws say this and that and that, but what is your heart? And this can also speak to even the religious people, like, wait a minute, he did not follow the law or so-called constitution or bylaws, whatever it is. He followed what is right, what comes out of love rather than what comes out of the letter of the law. Because ultimately, laws were written from the heart of God. It wasn't written as some kind of a very brittle, very hard text that there is no, uh, uh, what do you call it, no shift in it, that you can't shift it. It's, it's without any movement. No, it comes from out of law, love, I should say, not law. Out of love, and from that, all laws grow or all laws are developed. And many times it is according to situations. And, it, and as you can see, even God makes certain situations so difficult for us to even comprehend how can this be. Nothing like this has ever happened before. And so this is where we see even in this chapter, so-called born chapter, there are so many things that God can inspire us. And this is what I emphasize Many times I read the scripture and I wasn't reading it from receiving the breath of God, meaning the life of God. God had to breathe into his disciples because when Jesus died and resurrected, they were still kind of like, oh, I still don't understand why he had to die. He had to breathe into them. I believe John chapter 20 speaks, Jesus breathed into his disciples. He breathed into them. There's this idea that he put certain life. Certain life meaning this certain revelation. This certain thing that clicks in their minds like, wait a minute. I understand now what I could not understand before. And that's the life we're talking about. There's certain life that takes place in our hearts and our mind when God breathes. And, and it says, God, Holy Spirit can breathe into you. And God can breathe through the Scripture into you. Scripture is not simply a, a place of looking for doctrines. Many people who follow the Scripture for the sake of doctrines, they fail. They become, I mean, they, they walk away from God, basically. 
because they found something so brittle and as soon as it breaks, they walk away from God. When the fact is you should have been looking for the breath of God from the scripture, not doctrines of God. Doctrines have their place. Basically, I put doctrine under comprehension. Comprehend what, what you're reading, right? Comprehend the culture. Comprehend what's happening here. Comprehend what the author is talking about. But ultimately, what matters here is the word of God. It's like when God breathes into you, you are to receive something, and it should take life in you. So that's my spiel on it. So that's what I usually tell my kids. I go through the chapter. Did you understand? Can you retell me what happened here? And then we start asking questions. Did it touch you in some way? Does it move you in some way? And it goes beyond that, as I've said it. It could be for someone else. You read something and then you run into a situation. You're like, wait a minute. I just read about this. Let me speak to you about it. So it takes so many different forms of inspiration here. So that's basically it. This is how I read or how I do Bible studies. It's very simple. You read a chapter or a whole book. You under, try to understand comprehensively what went on there and look for inspiration. Did you get inspired in some way, in some form? Uh, I'm gonna get into certain other ideas I think this podcast is long enough. Uh, there's so much to be said about this. I just said it. There's so much more to be said about this. This is just a nugget for you at this point. Uh, so thanks. Thank you for listening for this podcast. And we'll continue to talk about uh, like the spirit-led stuff. Uh, there's more to it because Bible is inspired word of God. But when we say you receive a word of God, the word of God is bigger bigger than the scripture itself. It doesn't skip the scripture. It doesn't trump the scripture, but it's bigger than scripture itself. So this is where we have to sort of understand and place the scripture in a proper position. Do not make scripture king of all things. And I believe this is the mistake that evangelicals have done that led them making scripture even higher than the Holy Spirit himself, right? Scripture is not bigger than the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that wrote the scripture. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we should put Holy Spirit above scripture. Because even the scriptures themselves, the interpretation of scriptures were led by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Everybody who was interpreting the, the old prophets were inspired by the Holy Spirit. God breathed into them certain truth for them to even understand it. That's what I'm trying to say. So scripture reading is important but don't place it higher than the Holy Spirit himself. That's when we get people get into doctrines and people start calling people out, oh, you're a heretic because you're not following the Bible, not realizing that you're just interpreting a scripture in a specific way. And what, who says that you're right? Who says that you're right? Who says that you, are, that you have authority to interpret it that way? Nobody. The only authority that comes is comes from the Holy Spirit himself, that your interpretation of the scripture is correct. And if, you, if all you're doing is kind of like doing like this Bible thumping, no, it's not from the Bible. We, no, it's not from the Bible. It's from the Holy Spirit that breathed from the Bible or breathed by himself and said, this is the truth. So that's what I'm kind of pointing at. And there's a lot to be said about that. And I'll be speaking about that a little more as we go forth in these podcasts. 
So yeah, uh, at this point, I'm going to say thank you guys for listening. God bless you. Merry Christmas to all of you. And I hope you guys have great holidays. Definitely a great Christmas uh, this Advent season. So bless you guys. Love you all. Take care.